Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, brand worn by John McEnroe, Vitas Garolitis, Novak Djokovic, and Gabriella Sabatini. Check them out at SergioTacchini.com and use the code SHAP30 in all caps at checkout to receive 30% off of your order. Today's guest grew up in Scotland and now resides in Marina Del Rey, California. He is the agent of record for two of our sport's biggest stars, Nick Kyrgios and Naomi Osaka, respectively. And he just made big news by announcing his departure from the industry giant IMG to set up the Evolve Agency with Naomi. We discussed this and much, much more. Stuart DeGood is today's guest. Are you in Venice? Uh, Marina Del Rey. And what's your weather? June gloom, baby. You have the marine layer? Yeah, it's cloudy this morning. It's, you, you know, it's like every day pretty much cloudy till noon. And then after that, it's 50-50 whether you get sun or not for the month of June. And when are you leaving for SW19? I'm leaving on Thursday because I got to go to a mate's 40th birthday in London next Saturday. And then from there, I'll you know stay there. I'll be a couple of days early, but I'll be in town you know, early. Gentlemen, you here has the distinction of being the first ever agent I've allowed onto my show. He, with the Scottish brogue, he is the agent of Naomi Osaka and Nick Curios and just created big, big news by creating their own agency. Osaka has a, now has an agency called Evolve. We're going to talk about it. That is Stuart DeGuid. No, DeGuid. DeGuid. There you go. Yeah. You don't say DeGuid. DeGuid. There you go. I mean, you can say whatever you want, but if you want to get it right, you say DeGuid. 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 Like DeGuid. Exactly. Oh, man, I can't believe. I think a lot of people pronounce your name wrong. I would say 99% of people probably fuck it up, but... 99% 99% of the people make a mistake. I will not make that mistake ever again. It's great to see you. Great to have you on the show. Man, listen, as you know, we normally do a five-set format, but because there's so much business to talk about, we're going to just jam right into the second set. This is the On the Court Report. What's the status of your players as it pertains to Wimbledon? Are they? Wow. Uh, do you expect to see them soon? Over there? You saw Kyrgios play this morning, right? Yeah. So he's playing well. He's in, uh, where is he, Stuttgart. Um, plays Murray tomorrow. Nick's got the potential to do damage on grass, for sure. And this, he, he didn't play the clay, did a training block at home. Um, he's been on grass for a little while. So, you know, um, always optimistic about Nick. He can beat whoever he wants on any given day. You know, that's where he's at. Naomi had an injury since second clay. Was that Madrid or Rome? I can't remember the order. Rome. So she picked up an Achilles injury in Rome, sort of tried to get it right for the French, uh, wasn't 100%, aggravated it a bit more there. Um, So now she's in LA kind of trying to get her fitness back. Um, She was meant to play Berlin, pulled out yesterday. So I expect, um, you know, hopefully she makes it for Wimbledon. That's, That's the plan. So we'll see. She posted uh, footage of her running on a treadmill underwater Yeah, 20 hours ago. Yeah. Quite often athletes keep their injury statuses extremely quiet. Do you um, have any opinion about her, you know, sort of showing that footage, showing that injury? No, not all. I mean, I think she's always, you know, pretty open on it, every topic, right? So I don't think like she's very cynical or strategic about what information she gives out like on purpose. Um, I know that she was at, um, can't remember the name of it, but there's a facility up there in Westlake. I think it's athletes first. Maybe she's been going there this week and really enjoying it. There's a lot of basketball players working out in there, Paul George, Carl Anthony Towns. So I think she's enjoyed that, you know, even though she's in recovery mode, the kind of vibe of being around other top athletes and um, pushing each other and seeing how they train and kind of competing, which is, you know, in her nature. So I think she's having a, uh, having a good time at that particular gym. And that's probably why she wanted to share the video. I mean, obviously great facilities too. And I think, you know, just kind of interesting. Sorry, left or right Achilles. If we go and look at Rome, she had it taped up. I'm going to say 
going to say left from my memory, but I'm probably wrong. I'm not the physio, so. And is it tendonitis? Is it tendonitis? Is it a tear? What do we What do we know? What can you share with yeah, us? Yeah, I mean, I'm again. I don't. I don't know, so I don't want to be misquoted. I think it's something that we expect will be a full recovery. But you know, Achilles are tricky, so I think she wants to make sure she gets it right. Has her lack of time on the court been of concern to you? Um, do you mean from a commercial perspective or for her performance or I don't know as her agent I mean it doesn't seem like she's playing a lot of tennis in general yeah I mean I, I think like you got to take it all in the vacuum that it's in so last year was a not a normal year for her she had took time off after the French Open obviously spoke about her mental health um, so didn't play a lot of events last year which you know was a kind of an anomaly based on you know, the, those factors that were all pretty public and everyone knows about. So then coming to this year, I think she played, you know, the warm up before Australia, played Australia, didn't go Doha, Dubai, then came on to the hard courts, had a rough one in Indian Wells, played pretty well in Miami, made the final and then got injured in clay. So I think she's played this year about as much as she normally would have in a normal year, minus the um, injury that kind of, you know, curtailed her a bit on the, on the clay swing. And now we're, that's rolled over into grass. So yeah. It's always interesting to see these young kids, right? These players grow up in front of your front of our eyes. And that's kind of how I felt about that's how I feel about her is that we're watching her grow up and becoming you know savvy and and eyes opening to the world in a way that that happens when you're in your early 20s and your late teens and such. She really like gravitated towards Miami. She loved Miami and was and had, you know, for our listeners, if you don't remember, Naomi played a night match at Indian Wells. The crowd was liquored up, buzzed up. And one woman, I believe one one fan yelled, Naomi, you suck. It triggered her. She essentially, you know, didn't win another point or game in the match and then spoke to the crowd which was unusual and said you know when that happened it reminded me of when Serena and Venus were essentially heckled off the court the footage she had seen and then she you know she picked up the pieces went to Miami and played well what's your role when these sort of you know life changing or, or or these sort of cat these big moments happen where are you during all this um uh, depends on the moment but you know a lot of them i'm in the thick of it um you know i think after the incident at indian wells it was kind of a a, a, a team approach like we all kind of gathered after you know listened to naomi understood what had happened and her feelings on it and then we kind of all reacted from there and best way to give her support um, but you know, varies from, from moment to moment. I mean, when the stuff went down at the French open last year, um, I didn't travel there because of COVID. So I was here. So I was trying to manage some of it from here, which is difficult. Whereas she'd have her team with her, um, who were able to kind of support on the ground. So it, it just goes from, you know, it just depends, you know, some issues might be more on the business side. Some might be more on the performance and, and injury slash fitness side. So, um, it varies, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm normally quite, quite close to everything that's going on. It's your, it's your job, or generally speaking, it's your job to vigorously defend your player, your client. Is there ever time where you criticize or you say, hey, you know, I wish you could, we, maybe we could have done this different? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's my job to defend at all. I think it's my job to it's my job to try and be as transparent as I can and to try and help people solve problems. So give you an example, not a Naomi example, but a Nick example, Indian Wells lost to Rafa in a really tight match. It was a great match. Um, lots of energy in the crowd. Um, you know, Nick uh, threw his racket at the end, took a really unfortunate bounce, nearly hit the ball boy. Um, you know, and aftermath, Nick didn't know what happened. So he went into the press conference, hadn't been seen a replay. He didn't know the racket had gone anywhere near the ball boy. So again, by the way, not defending that, but, you know, that's a, that's a moment where he was at a press conference kind of 
not acknowledging what happened. And then afterwards I was able to say, you know, Nick, take a look at the video. Like this nearly hit the kid. And then he was like, shit, you're right. Like, you know, what can I do for the kid? I want to go see him, give him a, you know, a racket. So we went through all that process. So I kind of helped him find the solution. You know, it's not for me to say, oh yeah, like you did, that was, you're absolved of all responsibility. Like, you know, you're great. You know, that's not what it is. It's more about helping the player, like, see things and, and helping them, you know, solve the problems that, you know, anything might present. So, you know, in that incident, like I defend him to the extent that my opinion, that was absolutely an accident. Um, there was no malice. Like I look at certain other incidents that were absolutely intentional. And to me, you know, I'm, I have a law background. There's a very, there's a difference between um, having intent and not, you know, if you were charged with a crime. So I think that r- relates to tennis sometimes. Um, you know, you gotta, you get, you have to accept the responsibility that if you throw a racket, it can bounce anywhere. But at the same time, like it's different to walking up to the chair and smashing it, right? No doubt. We're gonna talk about Nick. What prompted the defection from leaving IMG? You you left with your players. Um, that's not the first time that this has happened in the sport. But when it does happen, it seems pretty cataclysmic. Uh, how did that trans? What, what were the chain of events that 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 forced that move? I have to be careful with what I say, but you know, I I'll say you know, speak kind of big picture level. I think for Naomi, you know, her friends um, or athletes that she looks up to, whether that's Kobe or LeBron or Steph or Tom Brady. You know, they're all managed independently. Some of them have ties to IMG's parent company, WME. You know, LeBron, if you went to their website, you'd think he's a client. He he is a client of theirs in TV production. But LeBron's uh, manager is Maverick Carter. LeBron's agent is Rich Paul. Um, they're separate to WME. Um, I think if you look at Brady the same, Steph the same, um, Kobe was this, you know, Kobe was the exact same too. So these are people that we look up to. And I think... Noma's thinking, well, all these male athletes have done that. Um, And by the way, I would add Roger to that list. I would add Rafa to that list. And he would say, why has no female athlete did it? Like, as the trailblazer that she is, I think that was an exciting opportunity and an exciting lane. Um, So, you know, that's kind of the bigger picture reason why. I would say for me personally, like IMG was great for me at the point of my career while I was there. I don't have really any bad things to say about that. It wasn't that it ended because I had bad relationships there or because um, there was anything wrong. But I think in the evolution of like my career and Naomi's trajectory, we felt like this was the right move. Um, And, you know, I I believe it was, and I stand by it and it doesn't necessarily mean there's any criticism of IMG, but um, you know, that, that wasn't really the issue. It was more like the evolution and the progression of her career and where she is as an athlete and her, ability and passion to do things different and, you know, break down barriers. Did the relationship end acrimoniously? Is there static now between evolve and IMG? I mean, I mean, look, whenever, whenever, you know, someone leaves a business, you know, there's going to be some level of fallout from my side. And, and it's funny, Naomi and I were speaking about this. We went for a bike ride Two days ago, we were riding from Venice to Manhattan and back, and we were talking about exactly this topic. And from our perspective, like both of us have nothing but respect and admiration for IMG, and we're appreciative of, you know, what you know that part of our um, a part of our careers. And but you know, we we have at the same time like, and I would add like, tennis is a small world, and we're gonna you know, Naomi might play San Jose, which is an IMG tournament. She'll certainly play Miami again. Um, there's no desire for us to have a contentious relationship with them. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the world is big enough for both. And, um, you know, hopefully there, there comes a time when we can get along again. Um, certainly at the outset, there's some, you know, hurdles, obviously, as it relates to different things. But, you know, big picture, no hard feelings from our side, for sure. When you carved out your deal, do you, does, does IMG still retain rights to the to the endorsement deals that you did while she was an IMG client? I mean, that's a, that's a legal question and varies from contract to contract, you know? Okay. 
I think Naomi's listen to be the biggest athlete, female athlete in the world is an incredible thing. And we know it's not because of prize money. Where does the money come from? Where is the, her most lucrative? What are her most lucrative deals? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, over the years we've built up a portfolio with some great brands. So Nike, uh, MasterCard, big partner of ours. Obviously, she's been with Yonex since day one. Um, we recently did a deal with FTX in the crypto space. We've been with Workday a long time. And we have our, our partners in the fashion space like Levi's, Louis Vuitton. Um, so we have a pretty deep roster. Wait, hold on. Keep going. Hold on. Keep going. You're not even close <laughs> to done. Keep going. I mean, tag. Tag Heuer. Watches. Tag Heuer. What else? Uh, Nissan, cars, you know. But but hold on, think, you're not done. You're not done. Keep going. Not done. You got a list. You, what you, about what about Sweetgreen? Doesn't she own? Oh, fuck! Sweet... How could I forget Sweetgreen? No, isn't Sweetgreen she one? Is like... is, isn't she an owner of Sweetgreen? Yeah, I mean the Sweetgreen partnership that we did. Great guys are you know, and we're actually really close with those the founders over there. Yeah, the deal we did was all equity, so we didn't we didn't take cash. You know, we could have actually taken cash to do a um, within the food space a rather less healthy option. But this was a really important to us because she's been eating sweet green for years. So yeah, she took out, they obviously did an IPO. So she's a shareholder and ipso facto a owner in the business, sure. And what about Frankie's Bikinis? Frankie's was a one-off. So we did a collaboration with Frankie's. Um, again, it was all came from Naomi. She wanted to, so she ultimately wants to be in fashion one day, right? So our strategy is very much to partner with smart people and learn. Right. We don't want to start a fashion brand while she's in the middle of her tennis career. What we'd rather do is partner with people like Frankie, um, like Levi's, like uh, LV and learn from them. Nike, for sure, as we collaborate, which gives her the experience. If and one day she wants to do herself, she's going to be very well prepared. It's almost like a college degree for her. So Frankie's was a one off in, in swimwear. Actually, now we're working on a collection with Victoria's Secret. Victoria's Secret actually bought Frankie's, by the way, or bought a stake in Frankie's, which okay. was unconnected to us but um there is some some synergy so yeah i think like the fashion fashion part is a big component of her portfolio what is the significance of the crypto deal and that's F, that's ftx is that right yeah ftx i mean there's there's a few different layers to it i think um obviously there was a you know uh, the crypto brands have been getting heavily invested in sport in the last six to twelve months um you know we had opportunities with 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 a few of them. Um, FTX are an amazing partner for various reasons, but also they got great ambassadors. So the ambassadors for FTX, and I was reviewing a ambassador slide for them last night, which looks awesome. It's like Giselle and Tom, um, Steph Curry, Shaq, Naomi. So like, that's the kind of company we want to keep. Um, so that was a, that was a really uh, exciting part of working with them for us. The business of Naomi Osaka is very interesting. What, is the significance of the Nike deal that you have a carve out where you, she's allowed to wear patches? I mean, that's that's unique to Nike. Even Roger didn't even have wasn't allowed to have patches. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's you know something that we're delighted about, and um, because it opens up other revenue streams. Um, you know, Nike probably less so because they don't like doing it, which is why that you know few other athletes, if any. Maybe Lina had someone in the past. Yeah, you know, I think it just was a matter of timing. Like at the time, we were leaving a relationship with Adidas where we were uh, had patches, so some of those uh, contracts were rolling over, and Nike had to make a decision. And um, you know, the, the the rest is history. But I think, like, I mean, just an absolutely incredible partner, um, the best brand in the world, in my opinion. Naomi's lucky she has relationships all the way to the top from. Phil Knight um, to John Donahue to John Slusher. Um, so we're, we're, we're such a privileged position with them and, and they're the best. What do you say to people that think she has too many endorsements, that she's not playing a lot of tennis? She's been at times controversial. She's been at times, she hasn't been present. And meanwhile, she's on the cover of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit. She's on, She's been doing a lot of, extraneous business uh what do you say to people that think that that's that's like a problem for for someone who's not playing who's not really on the court well i mean she is on the court 
So uh, she is playing. She just played the French Open. Um, she played Rome. She played. Madrid. I just mean in general, like if she, she, you know, she had won the U.S. Open and she backed it up with the Australian Open. The endorsements were flying. Yeah, and then and then you know she soft sold that she didn't want yeah. to do media. No, no, it's a, it's, it's a fair question. Yeah, and um, but we've been we've been dealing with this for years, man. Like, uh, I remember when she won U.S. Open in Australia out the gates, did a few deals. Um, she had a you know, a little bit of a slump after that. I think she lost second round French and she lost first round Wimbledon. And I, I was getting exact, asked exactly these questions. Right. And sure enough, then she went and won US Open again in Australia. So I don't think the endorsements were the problem. Otherwise, how would that have happened in the past? And all I can do is speak from reality, which is, you know, and again, I had this conversation with her while she was in Europe and she would train in the morning and she'd come to me in the afternoon and say like, I don't want to be watching Netflix and playing PlayStation like, what are we doing business-wise? Um, you know, send stuff to me, keep my brain occupied. I want to be using my time constructively. Um, and I think that's all coming from her. And that, for her, gives her something to focus on when she has the downtime. I think if she had nothing to focus on and she was thinking just about tennis, like that would have an adverse effect. And that's just coming from her. Um, so all, I, you know, all we can really do or all we want to do or all I want to do is her business partner and her agent is give her the best chance of success and do things that she enjoys doing. So that's that. But here's like my issue with this. Like, I I don't see anyone talking about LeBron having enough too many endorsements when they didn't make the playoffs. Um, I don't see it. I don't see anyone talking about um, Roger while he's been sidelined for a while. But I've seen it with Naomi. I've seen it with Sloan. I've seen it with Jeannie. I've seen it with Serena at times. Like, why is it always a, a female athlete thing? Like, it, it bothers me. Nikirios, the biggest box office, the most polarizing you know arguably most one of the most talented we've the the game has seen in a long time is your charge what can you tell us about nick that maybe we don't know i mean that you don't know i mean fuck i think nick's pretty open book right so if you follow nick and you follow him on social media or you follow his interviews like what you see is what you get so there's not a lot that you don't know you know i I guess. Is there any truth to the rumor that his Nike deal is up and that you guys are going to create uh, your own clothing brand? Um, there was truth in that because we went very far down the line with um, a brand that both Nick and I love and, and we're very close to and the founders a visionary and loves tennis. So we were exploring that as the end of his Nike contract approached. However, in going through that process, we also were speaking to Nike, of course, you know, what we've, where we're netted out with Nike is we've now got a very unique deal for Nick where, you know, in the past, everyone knows Nick doesn't exactly wear what's in line, likes to wear his own stuff, likes to wear basketball shoes, likes to wear vests. Um, when he trains, he's wearing a, um, a baggy, you know, box fit, Duels t-shirt rather than you know the inline uh nike 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 tennis shirt so so we went to nike and we said why don't we do this together with an actual strategy like what's the point in nick going rogue like why don't you give us a stylist on our team let's give him the latest basketball shoes while he's walking out let's give him the opportunity to wear you know pretty much whatever he wants but let's do it with some like order and with some with some tactic so that's where we are that's where we ended up doing with nike so we re-signed with nike it's a very unique deal. It's different to anything any other athlete has, which I think is testament to the power of Nick, to the power of um, athlete-led representation. I think, obviously, you know, having uh, through Naomi, we have a great relationship there. So um, super pumped about the deal. You know, to answer your question, there was truth in that rumor, and we, we did look at it, but where we got to in the end was a much better place. And, um, you know, we never – Nike's up the best. So if you can figure stuff out with Nike where you get – um, the best of both worlds, always the best place to end up. Will you tell us the the the, the actual deal or no? No, I won't. I won't, t- won't tell you the economics. <laughs> but tell, I, what, what I will tell you, what I will tell you, which is interesting, is yeah. the, the structure of Nick's economics is wildly different to the structure of any other tennis contract. Why? And by that, I will say ninety percent of. And this is not a Nike thing. This is a Nike and Adia Lacoste. Most of the clothing, the apparel contracts. Naomi, another exception, you know, I'm sure there's a couple others at the top level, but most of them are tied to how many events you play. 
and are tied to your ranking. And Nick's is 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 not. He does not have. Um, per, does does either Naomi or Nick have performance reductions in their contracts? I, I wouldn't say because it's not fair on them and it's not fair on other athletes. But I will say that we have unique circumstances deserving of their stature. It, would it be fair to say Nick sells clothes? <laughs> what do you think? He's looking at me I mean, like I'm crazy. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's wearing a sleeveless I mean, close, red. Close, close. Hold on. He's, he, he hasn't been playing, and he's wearing a sleeveless red shirt with a shirt underneath right. it. I don't think he looks particularly great in those clothes. Are we so, going to start? Are we are we going to start seeing like a cooler collections come out with him? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. like yeah, and I think like you know your opinion on his kit is, a, is subjective, right? I think sure. like no, no, of course. Go, I'm just asking. If you go to like if you go to the twelve to twelve to eighteen year old range, I think they probably think it's fire. Is that right? That if you go to the junior tournaments and stuff, the kids are copying him. Is that fair to say? This, so two things, right? So if you look at like a Nike line and you say who's selling Nike clothes, I don't think you know most people aren't going in to buy the Nick tennis shirt or going in to buy the Naomi tennis dress, but they see Nike. And it's a branding exercise for Nike. So they have Nike in their head and then they want to buy Nike to be like Nick. They don't necessarily want to wear the exact same thing as Nick. So I think that's, that's slightly different. So it's hard to say like, okay, he sells, you know, thousands of red singlets. Cause I'm not sure, you know, that, that's hard to measure. What I will say, you go to a junior tournament, all I see is Yonex. And at the forefront of Yonex is Nick and is Naomi Osaka. Yo, by the way, there's no doubt about that. Um, the per- the prevalence of that blue Yonex on tour, the E zone that Nick plays with, is everywhere. P- players that shouldn't be playing with it play with it. Good players are playing with it. And to be honest, and and this is uh, I'm a Yonex player, but I play with a different one. But that racket is a special racket. That's a great racket. Yeah, and I like you know his his influence is not universal right he's not you know i would say he doesn't have like the universal range that like a federer has but he taps into a very unique fan base and they're like fervent and loyal to him does nick have any other interesting cash flow streams any other endorsements that are like big money makers um Big money makers, I mean, not on the Naomi scale, but I would say his business is like, we've really revitalized his business in the last 18 months. So the strategy was really, um, you know, and when you ask me, by the way, something that people don't know about Nick, fucking great guy, by the way. Um, really, really nice guy, heart of gold, you know, loves no, his he family. seems like, no, we, 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 such we, a nice guy. No, so we've interacted. He's, so, a, he's, you know, I think the reason that people gravitate him, to him yeah. So significantly isn't just because of his prodigious talent, but it, it's, it has an Agassi quality where you feel his pain, you feel his joy, you want him to do well. The problem that everybody runs into is, is that when he implodes on the court, it's just so frustrating because you just wanted to see him do better. Yeah. But um, he's just such a, such a great guy. So the strategy was kind of to make him, you know, everyone in Australia knew of Nick, but no one really knew, you know, this, you know, what he's doing for the community and like how good a guy he is and his interests. So we, and we started doing stuff that aligned with his interests. So we did some of a PlayStation, we did some of a Call of Duty, which are like genuine, authentic relationships for him. And then on the back of that, we did a bunch of bigger stuff. We did a deal with Kia in Australia. We did a, we did a deal with Uber Eats, of course. We did a deal with Old El Paso. He's also vegan. So we're, he, we did a deal with Beyond Meat which is an equity deal. So Nick's, Nick's very much in the game. Is that a fact he's actual vegan? Fact. Facts. Yeah. I feel like I've seen him eating seafood at Nobu and, and fish and things like that. No, he's been vegan as long as I've been working with him, which is what, 18 to 24 months. So before that, I think you, you may have seen him before that. Now, does he care about winning matches and, and playing well? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, you know, I don't think he would be out there otherwise. I think he, uh, and I think like his levels, like really high right now, by the way, like I, I, I thought at Indian Wells in Miami, he was probably the most informed player. 
like the two matches he lost were like, you know, he probably just in the heat of the moment lost a couple of tie breaks, really. Um, one to Rafa. Like he should have beat Rafa. Like that first set should have been next. He won the second. Um, and then Sinner was like a rough tie break. You know, I, I don't know if you saw him play Rublev. Like obviously Rublev had his had his own struggles with what's going on over there, but Rublev's what, two, I don't know, it's three, four, five in the world. Absolutely smoked him. Like it wasn't even competitive. Yeah, no, he dismantled like, Rublev and then he played uh he played a tough first set against Sinner. Yeah. And it just uh, seemed like he unraveled and he really turned that crowd. He 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 has a remarkable quality where he's able to like turn uh an event into chaos. And I was courtside. Yeah. You know, you know I was courtside for that. And yeah, yeah. I was yeah, yeah. somewhat appalled. Was Jackson, right? Um I was somewhat appalled, but well, you're um, a traditionalist, but the point but, is but, like, but what but 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 what is it about him that when he senses he's like oh, maybe gonna lose that he it's something triggers have you have you had any conversations about that with him yeah a, a little bit I mean yeah I, I think like what I've learned with Nick is to kind of offer advice softly but for the most part let Nick be Nick and let Nick come to you when there's ideas in his head or when he needs um you know if he thinks I need a trainer for extra weeks or whatever but for the most part you know I think anyone that goes to Nick and is like, Nick, you need a coach. Like, it's not the right approach for Nick. Number one, I don't think he does need a coach because his tennis IQ is off the charts. But I think, um, you know, I think he's very much someone that likes to figure out stuff for himself. I think you're perceptive and what you see is correct. But at the same time, like, I think if someone wants to go in and be like, Nick, you need to manage this this way, that way, or that way, would actually be counterproductive and would probably go the other direction. Uh, What is your opinion of what's going to happen at Wimbledon with regards to no points, with regards to the ban? Good question. I mean, look, for me, I, I guess, obviously in an ideal world, like I wish everyone was that had a ranking good enough to get into Wimbledon was able to play. That said, like, I don't think Wimbledon's stance is so egregious as to merit, oh, let's deduct points. Like, when I look back in history and I look at like during apartheid, South Africa was not allowed to play rugby or cricket or compete. When we look back, do we think that was fair and just? Probably. Do I think every South African rugby player and cricketer deserve to not be able to play on a world stage? No. But I think as a blanket ban, that was probably appropriate. You know, if we look back under the Nazi regime, whether Germany was able to do certain things, you know, certain athletes who were, I'm sure, not um, Nazis were held back. Is that do we look back and think that was a big mistake? Not necessarily. So I don't think like Wimbledon's actions are, you know, they're, they're in the vacuum of what's happening. They seem reasonable to me. Um, but I say that against the caveat, I wish the others could play. So that's the first thing. So then to transition that into taking away points to me is absolute lunacy. Um, it doesn't fulfill any objective. It doesn't make any sense. It's a retaliatory act which seems quite um, immature almost. Um, And I think the way it was handled was not great. You know, uh, I'm told by by the people in charge at the WTA tour that that decision was taken in the best interest of the members. None of the members that I know were consulted other than those on the player council. So I don't know who's making the decision of whether this is in the benefit of the members. General public doesn't give a shit. Makes no difference, points or not. If you bought a ticket for Wimbledon, you're excited to go. You're going to see great matches. So you're only punishing players that are going. You're not doing anything for the fans, anything for the sponsors, anything for the tournaments. So you're punishing players. You haven't even asked them what they think is in their best interest. So I think it's a mess. Uh, what is your opinion of the health of the WTA? And I and and for our listeners, I you know the WTA is in is has been. You know, they may not be saying it out loud, but they were in dire straits. They dumped the China portion of their of their events because of the Peng Shui situation. And in general, and they didn't have a title sponsor. Okay. So in general, they've been struggling. They now have Hologic as their title sponsor, and they filled in the back end of the year somewhat. They still don't have an end-of-the-year Masters uh, venue. Good question. 
answer it a couple of ways. One is I think tours on fire in many respects because the players that provide interest on that tour really interesting to me. They've all got good stories. They come from different backgrounds. You know, a lot of them are women of color. If I look at Naomi, if I look at Coco, if I look at Layla, if I look at Emma Raducanu, you know, these are the stars. Yeah, by the way, Madison Keys and Sloan Stevens, they all they all were in the back end of the second week of the last of the last tournament. Exactly. We're talking about a very white sport. So to see those faces, like to me, gives huge energy to tennis, brings in a different fan base, makes me really excited. I compare that to the top 10 of men's tennis, you know, it's not the same. So in that respect, I think women have, the WTA tour has a, a better, uh, a more interesting um, player pool of their superstars for me. So I, in that, in that respect, I think the tour is in great health. Um, on the other side of it as a business, you know, I want to see the tour sustain itself. So we want equal prize money, obviously, but for me, I want that to be something that can sustain for eternity. So propping it up with an investment or a title sponsor is great. But what we need to do is promote these girls so that we get tickets sold so that we have recurring, you know, sponsors that come back year after year. So like, I want to make sure that this tour sustains itself and doesn't have to subsidize in order to get the equal prize money, but actually deserves it by the fact that we've done such a good job of promoting these superstars, growing the game where, and I, and, and by the way, last thing I'll say is I think this Netflix doc is going to really help um, propel tennis. So I'm excited about that. Netflix doc that Stuart is referring to is the the Formula One drive to survive production team has been retained by Netflix to do one on tennis. And that's a big story. Let's move into the third set. This is the portion of our show where we talk about your career. So listen, I do my research I see that you were born in Hong Kong. You were educated in Scotland. You are Scottish and you went to Duke Law School. That is essentially all I know. Where does your story begin? Were you born in Hong Kong? Do I have that right? Yeah, that's correct. So I was born in Hong Kong. I lived there till I was like five. My, why? Uh, why were your parents, why were you born in Hong Kong? Yeah, my dad was over there working as a, as a lawyer. Um, at the time, Hong Kong was under British rule, British governance, if you remember. So a lot of expats, well, not a lot, but there was a community of expats that went out there for a different lifestyle and experience. And my mom and dad went out there. You know, I was born while they were out there. You know, I think they had a blast, but the plan was always to come back to Scotland for education. So um, came home, did all my uh, schooling in, in Edinburgh. Do you have a tennis background? Yeah, I mean, but it's quite funny now. I was talking to my dad about this a couple of days ago. Um, a lot. So Judy Murray was my coach. She coached, coached me, coached my brother. Uh, Leon Smith, Davis captain, coached me, coached my brother. You know, these are people that have been in our life since we were, um, in my case, probably 12. In my brother's case, probably since he was seven. Um, so there's a, there's a community in Scotland. And now, what you probably don't know, but if you look around, um, you know, I'm on the agency side. Jamie Baker is now the tournament director of Wimbledon. Jamie, we all used to play against each other. Colin Fleming is a good is a great TV announcer. Um, Leon's the Davis Cup captain. Judy's Judy. There's Andy. Um, there's Jamie. Um, I'm probably missing a couple other people. So we've really put our stamp on tennis, and I think that all goes back to to Judy. Um, so you're so, probably, so you're so you're Scottish. Your parents are Scottish. I'm 100 Scottish. My accent is all fucked up because I've been here uh 12 years or something so when i go home my mates really don't enjoy it but after a few pints i'll slip back into my native tongue and so you grew up in tennis i mean yeah i was i was uh i I played sort of you know scottish i would say national level until i was uh 18 and went to university and when i went to university i played team sports uh like rugby and soccer because they were just better camaraderie to meet people um tennis as an individual sport in, in the uk is not like it is here there's no, you know, there is college tennis, but it's nothing like this. So I went into team sports just for, for, for the banter really. And from there, um, you know, never, never really played competitive tennis again. However, uh, after, after university, I was a, a corporate lawyer in London for a few but you years. Went, hold on. Sorry. You went to Duke yeah. law school. Well, so not okay. quite. So I, no. so I left, did my university in, in the UK, um, at university of Bristol, then I went, uh, worked as a corporate attorney in London for three years, um, was an awful lawyer. Yeah, I've heard I you did. say that. Why were you lousy at being a lawyer? 
it was just far too boring for me. It was like reviewing documents in front of a computer all day, not much human interaction. Um, I remember a guy telling me like, uh, (laughs) I did a markup of a document. He gave it back to me covered in red pen. He was like, don't think you have a passion for attention to detail. I was like, you're exactly right. I'm in the wrong job. Um, So it was 2008. Uh, The firm was actually offering voluntary redundancy because it was that the last recession. We're almost in another one, but this was the last one. So the firm were offering money to people to leave. And it was like, not a lot of money back then. It was probably 15 grand. And I said, right, I'm going to take this 15 grand. I'm going to use it for my enrollment to go to college in the US. Have no idea about anything here, right? But I applied to Harvard, Berkeley and Duke. Didn't get in Harvard, got into Berkeley and Duke. My brother was doing study abroad at UNC. So that was close to Duke. I didn't know anything about the history of Duke basketball or anything. Knew, saw it was like in the top five law schools or whatever. So went there. Did a year there, loved it. Um, met Carly, who's now my wife, towards the end of that year. Knew I wanted to stay in the U.S. So went to my old friend Judy and said, you know, Judy, do you know any of these agencies in, in the U.S.? And she introduced me to IMG. She introduced me to Octagon, Lagardere, a couple others. And I ended up working for Lagardere in Washington, D.C., out of Duke. For our listeners, uh, Lagardere is a giant French conglomerate that at this little pocket in time, the 2008-ish, 2009, they made a big foray, not into just pro sports, but into tennis. So you were part of that team, Kevin O'Connor? KOC, we had a okay. great team. We okay. had, uh, I mean, Donald Dell, who's a legend, you know, he was Jor- signed Jordan at UNC, Stan Smith, Arthur Ashe, you know, wrote the book on, like, he started, like, Will also Marvel Ken Meyerson was involved there as well. Kenny was there. Kenny okay. was there. Kenny's actually a part of my story. So that was um, your yeah. first, so you became an agent or a worker at Lagardere right out of Duke Law School. Not quite, right? Okay. So this is what happened. Okay. So Judy introduced me to these people. No one had jobs for me. Um, Donald Dell invited me to meet with him in Washington. So I drove up from North Carolina, went to Donald's office. Um, we got on great. He said, look, I've got no, I, in fact, I was wanting to be an in-house tenant uh, attorney at the time, but just like at a Nike or an IMG or Lagardet. He said, got none of those jobs for you. He's <laughs> like, what I do have is a six month project running a charity event for John Isner and Sam Query. He's like, I can pay you like 15 grand a year. Something like, something like that. <laughs> something I was terrible. Like, and by the way, I had one week to get a job. Otherwise my visa was cut. So I was like, great. When can I start? He's like, you start Monday. It's like, brilliant. So drove up to DC, um, started this new job running a charity event, no experience in running an event ever. To this day, I couldn't even run an event. Um, but, I did, but I did that for six months, got to know all the agents at Lagardere, which is like Sam Duvall, John Tobias, all those guys. I saw that and, Sam uh, Duvall was in your wedding. Uh, you guys are close friends. Yeah, yeah, we're very close friends. For our listeners, Sam Duvall most significantly has been John Isner's agent for a lot of years, and he has his own outfit as well. That's correct. So, so I was doing that. Then I, then I went to John and said, John, I really want to be on the agency side. John said, okay, like, come and I'll uh, like, have you like do some sales and maybe scout some juniors. Sorry. Uh, John Tobias, again, um, long time agent has bounced around a little bit. And at one time was the head of Lagardere, I believe. Yeah, he was head of Lagardere Tennis. I think he, he still is a tennis agent, has some um, players like Fernandez and Badosa, and um, he's still in the business, doing well. So, so went to John. John was like, you can basically scout juniors, which was, I was like, great, I'll take it. So then after about a month of that, uh, the tragic part to the story, Kenny, uh, Ken Meyerson passed away. So Ken is, was Andy Roddick. You want to explain who Ken was? Go ahead. Go for it. No, no, so please Ken, go. Go, go, go. I mean, Ken was, was Roddick's longtime agent. Um, he also had a couple other clients at the time, including uh, Milos, including Radwanska. So when he passed, his clients were sort of divided up amongst those of us that were still there. And you had and Radwanska. Was, and that's where I got Radwanska. So from a month on the job, I, I went from being a junior agent doing nothing to managing Aga, who was about 20 in the world at the time, which was cool, obviously great for me. So at the first tournament I went to was Australia. I think she, I can't remember how she did there, but the second or third one I went to was Wimbledon and she got to the final 
and she was two in the world and she was one match away from being one in the world. She played Serena in the final, took her to three sets. We were a set away from being Wimbledon champion and world number one. I'd been in the job about six months, didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was like, this is oh, a good man. story, I like, man. I was like, I was like, this is easy, man. Like it takes a, a month to get to like the number one in the world. I was like, this is brilliant. Um, and then I, I don't think I went to a grand slam final for another six or seven years when Kevin went to a couple. And then obviously now Naomi's been in four. So um, that's kind of my story, man. So you left Lagardere and you went to IMG and you took Redwanska. Yeah, I took, but at the time I was managing my sort of bigger clients were Radwanska, Kevin Anderson, and uh, Richard Gasquet. And uh, Richard was best friends with Arnold Lagardere. So R- Richard was not leaving. Um, the other two did and, and came with me, yeah. Why, what, what prompted that defection? To be honest, it was just, I, you know, IMG approached me at the time, presented me with, you know, said they were interested and I was coming over. And for me, it was a bigger agency. It was a better agency. There was more opportunity to learn. There was greater people to be mentored by. I thought it was a better home for my clients. I thought they could make more money. IMG had events that they could plug them into. You know, Kevin played Abu Dhabi for a number of years. So it just was, I thought it was for the best for me, my family, and also for the best for my players. And, and, and I knew Lagardere was on the way out and I'm not in a great place. And I proved to be correct. Yeah, you made a good bet. How did you become the uh, agent of Naomi Osaka? Naomi was uh, actually with another agency at the time. She was an Octagon client. Um, and I'd heard her name a, a little bit, but hadn't really ever seen her play much. Um, I remember reading about her being Stozer in Stanford. I think it was Stanford, which was, you know, people were then starting to talk about her a bit. So I was following along, but really from afar. And then um, she was playing... I don't remember the year she was playing against Svitolina in Australia. I think it was the third round and she beat her. Naomi was 17 or 18 at the time. And I watched that match just in the stand as a fan, really, and, and said to myself, like, you know, e- e- even if her ceiling is the top 10, which was obviously she could at least get the top 10, I was like, she's going to be a superstar. Um, so I knew a guy, again, it's all relationships in tennis. I knew a guy called Horacio um, who was, you know, involved in her coaching a little bit in Delray Beach. And he introduced me to Naomi's dad and we got talking and one thing led to another. And uh, that's how we got started. You took her out of Octagon. I mean, I, I think I could, I, I don't know, uh, you know, legally if you can take someone from one to another, but I think after the expiration of her Octagon contract, she t- decided to sign a contract with me and IMG. Yeah. What year was that? Um, the, I remember the first tournament where we were officially together was Tokyo. You can look up the year, I don't remember, but she, she went to the finals, I think, lost to Wozniacki. Um, so whatever year that was was when we first officially started. 2016, 2015, do you know? Yeah, about that. 16? 2016, okay. I would say, well, um, yeah. 16, so maybe 2016, 15. she was 17 years old. Yeah, 17 or 18, yeah. So we've been together like six, six and a half years. How did you build the trust, the relationship that, you know, is so strong today? I think, you know, Naomi's career has had, it, it was never a straight line going up. Um, so what, as it was going in an upward trend, there were some, some ups and downs. And I think just being there and able to offer the right advice in good times and in bad, you know, over the years has been uh, important. I think we have a level of say, certainly trust, but also like friendship to an extent. We, we actually think, you know, although we're very different in certain respects, we, we, we think very similarly about business and the business of tennis and the business of sports marketing. And we've always been aligned in sort of long-term goals, but also short-term like brands we want to align with. Like it's very rare that, you know, very rare that we'll get like a sweet green where I'll say like, don't want to do that. She'll say, I will. It's almost always our, like we, we gravitate to the same thing. So I think in business, we have the same interests. I think, um, you know, we, 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 we trust each other and yeah, I mean, it's just time and relationships and, um, you know, trying to offer the right advice at the right time and be there, you know, when, when needed. Have you made mistakes? I would say definitely nothing actually comes to mind. But, um, you know, there's never any there's never any deal you did that was shitty that you take back. There's never any 
tournament she played when she was that she should i don't know i'm just wondering i'm just curious i remember asking paul anacone this and he was like yeah no you know i i i pushed too hard certain when i should have backed off i should have listened more whatever it was right I, i'm tr- i mean first of all like my instinct is to say definitely because like i know that I, I i'm certainly not perfect and no one is and there's i've learned so much and i'm sure that's from my mistakes Having said that, when I look at sort of deal portfolio, not really because we spend so much time thinking about them before we do them. Like it's rare that we'll just be like, okay, you got till Friday to decide. And we're like, oh, yes or no. Like for the most part, these are like everything we do is for a reason. So you rarely see an Osaka deal and think, why the hell has she done that? Like for the most part, or if you if you do say that, like I could explain to you why. So everything we do is pr- quite strategic. So yeah, I, 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 wish I, I wish I had examples because okay. there must be a couple that we fucked up. But for the most part, like, <laughs> <laughs> for the most um, part, like, everything's done for a reason. How, where, first of all, where were you during the 2018 U.S. Open final? I was in the box. You were in the box. Yeah. What was that experience like? Wild, man. Absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. You know, first of all, like, I don't, you, you, I don't, you've been to obviously multiple matches in that stadium. It's so loud. This particular match, never, ever, ever have I heard noise like it, ever. Yeah. Yeah. Like and people were just yelling through the points. Like I couldn't hear anything. And and by the way, it was so packed in there. And this is going back to 2018 where in a crowded venue, your phone didn't used to work. So there was so many people there. Right. right. So, so first of all, we couldn't hear what was going on. So we're like, what the fuck? And, and second of all, our phones didn't work. So like when I came out of the match, I had about a million texts. Like, did you see that? Did you see that? At the time I couldn't see anything. So so you were wild. basically, you were, on. you were blind in the box, we not knowing what blind. was happening on the court. Not just me, but Sasha too, right? Her coach, like we were all in the same. We didn't know what was going on. We could tell, like, and when Naomi would come down our end, like we sometimes make eye contact, but other than that, like we just had no idea what we were dealing with. Like we didn't hear Serena had spoken to the chair. Um, so, so when she got the, the the game penalty, which was for you know saying something to the uh, umpire, like we didn't know what happened. So we're like, we were right. so confused. Um, confusing. And then at the end, obviously, it was a mess, and there was booing and. Um, I think, you know, the, the USCA didn't say the right things and didn't manage it correctly. And it was such a, she's talked, she's talked about how hurt that made her, how meant, how bad that was, how bad was that? I think you'd have to ask her really. I mean, I think like potentially a traumatic experience, right. Cause it was very, very um, crazy. It was just brutal, but you know, on the other hand, like, I don't think she'd give it back. So, you know, that she deserved to win. She was the better player. It's her title. No one's ever taken that away from her. Well, so she blabbed me the fact that she blew her off the court and Serena imploded. Oh, it was crazy. Close. Last question. What's next? Are you going to ramp up and start? Are we going to start seeing you at uh, Eddie Her and the, the Orange Bowl? Are you going to start being at, you know, Le Petit A? Are you going to start p- putting a... Uh, are you going to be picking up basketball players? Uh, we saw Kyrie mention he wants to sign with uh, Evolve. What's this, what's next for Evolve? Yeah, um, so I think we're at a sort of crossroads where we are. Um, we're still trying to figure out our bigger picture strategy. I think, you know, the reason we actually started the business was um, to really help propel Naomi and Nick's business to the next level. It's never really about other clients. Um I think since we've started the business, you know, now our eyes are open. We've had incoming traffic. We've um, we have people wanting to invest to help us grow. So we're thinking, do we just focus on what we know we're doing right now and we're good at it? Or do we, um, you know, take a punt and do we try and build this business out into something bigger? Do we want to stay in tennis? If we want to stay in tennis, I think we'd only want to be going after, you know, players that either transcend tennis or have the potential to um, do we want to be in other sports? Potentially we'd have to make a couple of hires, hire other agents, um, which might involve raising some funding. Um, you know, do we want to get into consultancy with the brands? Like we've done so many brand deals, like we could add tremendous value on the other side of the table. So all these things that we're considering at the moment and um, time will tell. Sounds like you, you make the break and then you're going to, evolve right it's like the name of the company you're gonna evolve that's it let's move into the fourth set this is the 10 ball scramble i say it and you say what comes in your mind we go fast you ready yep your favorite tournament wimbledon why 
because uh, I like going out to the dog and fox at night for pints. <laughs> Favorite city? <laughs> uh, LA. The best tournament for players? Indian Wells. That remains? That's still the same? Yep. Still that good? Yep. The best deal you ever did? Um, well, Naomi Nike. What is Kinlo? A sun care company for people of color. That you own with? Naomi owns, Naomi owns it with an incubator. Um, Naomi's the founder and CEO. And I'm on the board. The difference between an agent and a manager? In tennis, we are both. Um, in, in Hollywood or in music, you have one of each. Um, it's a different day. Yeah. So uh, in tennis, we, we do everything. Appearance fees? Necessary. Why? Because certain players add more value to the events than they might make in prize money. Prize money? Prize money needs to be distributed better. Big entourage or lean and mean? Um, whatever you want. No right or wrong. Player box etiquette. What are, what are the do's and don'ts to be in the box? What's it like to be in the box? What's the, what's the, what are the, some of the things that you need to be when you're in that box? I'm, I'm pretty passive, but there's been one or two matches where, like, you know, Naomi or Nick might need, like, fired up. Uh, we, we, had, we had a funny moment. We're laughing. I'm sure it's absolutely nothing to do with me, but I'm going to take full credit. When Nick was about to play that tiebreak at Rafa recently, walked over to us. I was like, I think I said, like, Nick, give it five minutes maximum concentration. And, like, he just locked in and crushed, him in, crushed it in five minutes. So I'll, I'll take full credit for that. Braveheart. The best movie ever. Is, there, is it accurate? It's quite accurate, actually. Yeah, I studied, uh, I studied that in history when, you know, when I was in my last year of school, and it's quite accurate, yes. William Wallace. Legend. Went all the way across Scotland fighting. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, you know, at the time we were being colonized by the English and he was the spearhead of the movement that was just so vital. I mean, and such a long, such a long time ago, but such a rich history. We're still talking about him and making movies about him. Incredible. Let's move into the fifth and final set. This is the king of the court. If you could be the king of tennis and make a change in the sport with just one swing of the racket with no aggravation, what would it be? I mean, yeah, I know, I know. I mean, I, I, got, I got many things that bother me about tennis, right? One of which is this, and I, I don't, I'm not going to propose the exact solution, but this really pissed me off about tennis and is why we, it doesn't make progress. So if I have someone that says, like, they don't know tennis that well, but they're trying to get into it, I say, I want to come and watch Naomi or Nick at, at the U.S. Open. It's like, awesome, great, can't wait to have you. You know, let me know when you're in time. When do they play? I'm like, well, don't know exactly when they play. They might play Monday, they might play Tuesday. Thereafter, I don't know because it's a knockout. Okay, um, so I'm going to come Monday or Tuesday. And I say, okay, great. They say, all right, what time are they going to play? I don't know. I say, I'll let you know the night before. It comes the night before. Um, what time are they going to play? Well, I don't actually know. The third match on um, after 11. So you got the first match, which is a men's, might go five sets. The next one might go three sets, women's match. Could be two hours, could be seven hours. They're like, fuck it, I'm not coming. That's too much. You can't make plans because the schedule is too herky-jerky. I like the chaos personally, but I understand what you're saying. Well, it's good for us that know tennis and love it. But if you're inviting someone new that has like <laughs> other things going on in their life, by the time you go through all those steps, they're like, give me a break. <laughs> so I suspect the answer is probably uh, three set men's matches, which wouldn't bother me at all. I think it would provide more variety. Like in the, in the men's side, the better player almost always wins because within five sets, you got the opportunity to fuck two up. Um, on the women's side, you don't have that. If we did that in men's tournaments, we'd see different winners in the slams, which I think would be much healthier for the, the sport. Wow, that's interesting. Um, any truth to the rumor that after Fed, Joker, and Rafa's finished that they may make that change to to, to, to best? No, no way. Not that I've heard, and I'd be stunned. But, right. um, you know, I like like different people trying different things. I know Moritoglu's got uh, a project in the works, which I think will be really exciting see what they're doing in golf right now, which obviously, you know, disagree with it morally, but it's, I, I like seeing formats change. I want to see how that goes on. Um, I think tennis could use, um, you know, a different, faster format being successful, not necessarily in, 
in replacement of traditional mode, but in addition. Hey, man, I enjoyed this. I'm glad that you were able to, um, you know, we were able to make this happen. Good luck in London. And um, thanks for coming on. My pleasure, buddy. Stuart DeGood, you are released. Huge thank you to Stuart DeGood. And thank you to Sergio Tacchini. See them at SergioTacchini.com. Use my code SHAP30 in all caps at checkout to receive 30% off of your order. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro and you are released.